Always excited to be able to just uh, to open God's Word. And the first time um, I was able to, to share with you all, we had um, just gotten back and we were still probably had some jet lag and trying to figure out what it meant to live back in America now. And a week uh, from Monday, we'll head back over uh, to East Asia. So that's kind of where we're at, but we're thankful to be able to be here again and um, just be able to share a little bit with you guys. Expecting uh, grim, sad faces, I was shocked by the smiles of joy on the faces of the missionaries in this poor, rundown, difficult area in Mexico while I was on a trip in high school. And in that time, the Lord began to do a a work in my heart where I recognize that even if the Lord sends me to a difficult place or even in the midst of trial, the Lord can give me great joy. And I remember even in high school saying to the Lord, well, Lord, um, if you would send me, I I will go. And at that time, I I didn't ever think that the Lord would actually send me somewhere. And then in high school as well, I took Spanish. And Spanish— was just a very challenging subject for me. It was bad. The only thing that got me through was my friend and I that we just cut up throughout the class and tried to f- think of really funny phrases in Spanish. And I remember at that time I told my parents, I said, at least I know now that the Lord will never call me to be a missionary. And then the Lord, after college, He had used just a some different things in my life, and even hearing that there was this one missionary, he just said at one point in his life, he said to the Lord, hey, I'm, I'm willing to go, and go wherever you call me, and even to a difficult place, and I thought, yeah, I'd be willing to go, Lord, and, and after college, he took me to Ecuador, and during my time in Ecuador, it was, it was challenging. In my first year there, I was there for two years, my first year, I just remember every day, almost every day, waking up, just asking the Lord to just send me home, and I struggled, and I was lonely, and I even at times wished that I would get some sort of horrible sickness so that they would say, you got to go home, and then I'd have this, this free pass home, and I just struggled with being there. And then one day, I, I was driving, and driving in the, in the Andes Mountains, and I turned this corner. And as I turned the corner, the scene that played out before me, the Lord used to convict and, and to really do a work in my heart. There was a group of maybe about a hundred people, and they were on like a parade kind of thing, and, and upon their shoulders, they had sort of like, the, you think of the Ark of the Covenant, they had this idol, and to this idol, they threw flower petals, they prayed prayers, and they wept, and they asked it for hope, they asked it for peace, they asked it for healing, and I knew that this idol would only bring them death, and ultimately eternal separation from God for all eternity. And in that moment, even though I was struggling and I was lonely, I knew why the Lord had sent me there and why I needed to stay. That there were those there that may never hear apart from someone going and sharing with them. And now the Lord has sent us to, to our city in East Asia that we call Willow Grove. And in this city, it's about a city of a million people with only about 0.1% that know Christ. So every day we're able to share with those who have not heard. And even though we struggle and sometimes we're who wonder what the Lord's doing, we know that He has us there, that we might be a light and a testimony of His gospel of grace. And this morning, we're going to look at Paul 
in Paul's words that I've looked at this passage a bunch of times over the last month, last four or five months, and every time the Lord convicts my heart and stirs my heart and shows me where he has to sanctify and grow me through these passages and these words of Paul. Paul is in a, on his third missionary journey, and in this journey he's gone to Ephesus, and for about three years he spends in Ephesus just training, sharing, and just pouring into them. And to the point that everyone in Asia, it says, here's the gospel. Those in the area of Turkey, everyone has heard. And then he goes up to Macedonia, and here he comes down, and it gets us to our passage this morning. And we're going to start in Acts 20, verse 16 and 17. Let's go ahead and read that. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So here Paul, Paul, he's in a hurry. He's hastening, he's quickly trying to get to Jerusalem, and we'll see that this is an amazing thing that he is in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. We'll see why in a, a little bit. But he passes Ephesus and he calls the elders down. These are the guys that he has poured into, spent time with, taught, and just poured into. And he knows this is probably, most likely, going to be the last time I'm ever going to see their face. And we hear the words of Paul in his last message to them. And we're only going to look at part of this, but the whole, if we were to go through and look at this whole thing, it just continues to, to become strong in his words and just the conviction that I find in my heart when I read them. And first we read, in verses 18 to 19, we see the sacrificial servant life of the missionary. And he says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul, he knew that his testimony was known in Ephesus. And how did he know? From the, even from the first day that he stepped in there, he lived a life that was not a life of isolation and separation, but a life that was amongst the people there. And he poured out his life. In First Thessalonians 2, he, he writes back to the Thessalonians and he says, which I'm sure would be true of, in Ephesus 2, that he was ready not only to share the gospel with him, but his life as well. And I'm convicted in heart as I go through many of my days, the people that I engage with here in America or China or wherever, that many times I just look past them, past them and look through them. If I'm in a store or on the street and I don't hear their words, I don't see them, and I just look merely through them. C.S. Lewis says that everyone that we interact with day in and day out, everyone that we see, everyone that in our family in the stores we go to, on the street, is either for all eternity will be either an immortal horror or an everlasting splendor. What did he mean by this? Everyone has an everlasting, eternal future. Either that we will be in Christ glorified, and if we were to be seen today, appear to be the most glorious creature that we can imagine. Or for all eternity, if you are apart from Christ, 
If you were seen today, you would be the most grotesque core that you can imagine. And everyone that we engage with and see day in and day out has an eternal future and destiny. And do we look at them that way? I'm convicted in a heart that I do not. Many times. And then Paul says that amongst them he was serving the Lord. He served the Lord for Paul to live was Christ. He could do nothing but serve the Lord and for the, for the glory of Christ. And how did he do that? He served them with all tears. Or with, it starts out, he says, with all humility. Paul served and lived his life in humility. He didn't seek the praise of man, the accolade of man. John Piper, when he looks at this passage and look at, looks at these verse, Pastor John Piper says, of this lowliness, our humility is first a feeling toward God that He has absolute right over your life. That He can do with you as He pleases. And that He has absolute authority to tell you what is best for you. And that's just fine with you. And second, lowliness means feeling indebted to all people because of how graciously God has treated us. Lowliness means a feeling of indebtedness to all people because of how graciously God has treated us. If we turn to Ephesians chapter 2, here Paul writes back to Ephesus and writes to the church of Ephesus, and he writes to them, and he tells them and reminds them of what they were like apart from Christ. What was their life? What was their state of being before they knew Christ? And first he says that they were dead in their trespasses and sin. They were as dead men and women. And then he goes on in verse 12 and he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Christ, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's have a short video. Imagine waking up every morning in a home that is collapsing around you. It would be a reminder of your poor state in this world and the little chance you have of digging out. A family indeed does live in this home in the middle of Willow Grove. Could there be a worse state of being? And yet there is. To live having no hope and without God in this world. For many believe their greatest hope is in themselves, or money, or idols made of plastic, wood, and stone. This hope is no hope at all. In Willow Grove there are approximately 700,000 people, and only 700 know the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you intercede for these hundreds of thousands? Will you pray that we will have boldness to share the gospel, and that hearts will be changed? Please pray for the Hartsfields and the Harrys, and pray also for the multitudes they encounter every day, that they might know God. This is a visual picture of our desperate state of being apart from Christ. And if those of us in this room have turned from our sins and turned to God and repented and placed our faith in Christ. We are those who have hope. 
we are in this world with God in hope. We are able to draw near to Christ and draw near to God because of the person and the work of Christ. And before Him, we lived in a desperate state of being. And those around us, we must be reminded there are many around us who still are in that state of being. And it's because of the grace of God alone that we now find hope, that we now know God, and that we're able to draw near to Him because of Christ. Paul also said that he served with tears. Here, he doesn't say exactly what his tears were for. Later in the chapter, he talks about how night and day, that as he was with them, he admonished and warned them with great tears and warned them about false teachers and, and wolves that could come in amongst them. And in, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how he wrote this letter with much tears, just calling them to repent. And Paul, he wept over the souls of men and wept over lostness and wept over those who were in rebellion to, toward God. I think the very first time I ever began to begin to understand or to sense this or have this feeling was in, in my time in Ecuador. I went to, on a trip to Peru, went on vacation, and we were in the mountains, and we were on this tour bus, and we broke down out kind of in the middle of nowhere, or totally in the middle of nowhere. And there was this adobe home, dirt floor, one, maybe two-room home, and these kids come out just to see what's going on. This bus is broken down in front of them, and they have these rosy red cheeks because they live way up in the mountains in this high altitude, and it's cold, and these, they have permanent red cheeks. And we were just talking engaging, and in that moment, my heart stopped, and I thought to myself, has anyone ever been here? Has ever, anyone ever gone to this place to share of the gospel? And, I, and then we, later that day, we went to another town, and it was just so isolated. And last night, I thought to myself, will anyone ever here, come here to share the gospel that they might hear and repent and believe and know hope and know faith? And I remember just weeping. But there are many days where in my time of prayer before the Lord, I have to confess and say, Lord, I do not love the lost as you do. I do not weep over the lost. I do not desire to share with them for your glory and for their salvation as I do. And I repent daily, even in day in and day out as we serve in East Asia, even those days I have to tell the Lord, I do not love these people like you do. And then Paul said he served with many trials. Paul was not a stranger to persecution and trial. I think of in Lystra, he goes in and the Jews get so mad at what he's saying that they pick up stones and they throw stones at him and to the point where he's bloodied and beaten and they think he's dead and they take him outside of the city and then the next day Paul gets up and he goes back into the city and he continues to be a light in darkness. And Paul was not a stranger to difficulty and difficulties for him were never an excuse for disobedience, never an excuse not to go just because it was going to be difficult. I had a professor say, whenever we proclaim the gospel, we engage in spiritual warfare. I believe if we're engaging in spiritual warfare, we should expect trial. I think the words of, of Christ, our Savior, in John fifteen twenty, where he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, and we should not be surprised. Tomorrow morning or Tuesday, whenever you go back to work or go back to your classes, Imagine yourself sitting at work or sitting in your classroom. As you sit there, someone comes in and they go to your boss, they go to your teacher and say, I need him or her. They need to come with me. 
So you're told that you need to go, and this person comes and takes you and says, you need to shut up and go with me. And they take you, and they walk you out, and they put you in the back of a car, and they drive away, and you don't know where you're going. And as you drive, it begins to dawn on you what's going on, and you pull up in front of the police station, and they get you out. And they take you into a room, and in this room they say, Sunday morning, New Year's Day, what were you doing in the morning? Who were you, you were studying the Bible? And who were you studying with? What was taught? And what about that Rick and that Dave guy who lead you? Can you tell me about them? Where do they live? Tell me about their life. How about those people that were sitting around you that morning? Can you give me their names? Do you have their numbers on their cell phone? This is the reality of some Christians this next Monday, this next Tuesday, what they will experience. About a month ago, we got an email that one of the students that is part of um, a group or one of our National Brothers leads, that they were taken and they were interrogated. I don't, I don't know what all was said to him. I don't know what all the questions were or all the circumstances, but it may have been real similar to that. Are we willing to be faithful to share the gospel, even if that's our Monday or our Tuesday coming up? Are we willing to, even in the midst of trial, be faithful to the gospel? Verses 20 and 21. We see the bold, uncompromising message of Paul. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul spoke boldly the word of God. He did not hold back anything. He did not hold back any difficult teaching, anything that might bring upon himself persecution, but was faithful to share the gospel. And he went. He went both to public and to house to house sharing this gospel, and he didn't discriminate, discriminate between who to share to and who not to share to, who might be worthy, who might respond. But he shared both to Jews and to Gentiles. And what was the message? He pre- preached a message of repenting, to turning from our sin and t- turning toward God and placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is the message that we have, and if we've not heard it before, it's the message that in the Bible that we hear, we know that we have a holy God who is the most high God without sin, and He is a creator of all things. And maybe according to our standard, according to our, our family standard, or even according to our friend's standard, we're okay. But according to a holy God, who's the most high God, a creator of all things, who calls us to follow Him, we are sinners, and we have broken His law. And we are called to turn from our sins and turn to Him. And He sent His Son, Christ Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, who died for our sins. And He fully kept the law of God without error. That even He, that He could die in our place, even though that we have sinned, and God is just, that He allows us, Christ, to die in our place. And He calls us to repent from our sin and turn to Him, place our faith in Christ, who died but then rose again. To, true, to life and to be victorious for all times in heaven. And this is the message we have. 
Are we faithful to always share this message and always share this gospel and call for others to respond to this gospel? In this world, there's probably approximately about 1.7 billion people who will never even hear the name of Christ. Will we go and will we share? The first time I came here, I told you about a gal named Wendy. Um, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I did, and I showed you a picture of her. And she is a fairly new believer. Um, she, over about, probably about a year time span, heard the gospel again and again as she studied with some, um, some other nationals. They would study together, and she studied. And Wendy, Wendy's not her real name. She's, um, she has a, a, her Chinese name, but the, this Wendy. And um, she studied, and at one point she repented, turned to Christ, and believed. And then she found, she has one child, and she lives in the part of the world where you can only have two children legally for most people, unless you pay a fine or just do some different things. And anyway, she became pregnant with her second child. And the believers went to her, and they encouraged her and challenged her, and even her husband, who isn't a believer, to keep this baby. And I remember asking you guys just to pray for her, that she would be able, by the grace of God, be able to keep this baby, and would be able to stand against different temptations. Well, her mother-in-law was a diabolical woman. Went to her, her son's boss, who is the head of the, the work unit, told, her, told him about the situation, about the pregnancy, and um, convinces them all to go and confront this couple, her, her son, her daughter-in-law. And they convince them, at this point you need to go and have an abortion. And Wendy went and had an abortion. There's a loss of this baby. But Wendy, about a month later, finally was able to just come before the brothers and sisters and just confess and to just to, to talk, even talk about the situation that only, I'm sure if you've been through that, could ever understand or feel the weight of it. And they loved on her and encouraged her and helped her know that in Christ there's full forgiveness and full hope and full peace found in Him. And... Wendy, after this point, was baptized and followed in obedience of that. And Wendy now, even though she's been through such this trying, incredibly life-changing moment in her life, because of Christ and the forgiveness found in Him and the hope found in Him and the peace found in Him, she is able to have life and walk forward in Christ and with those brothers and sisters. And that's because the gospel someone was faithful to share with her time and time again about the goodness of our God and the forgiveness found in Christ. Are we willing to go that others might, like Wendy, might have true hope and peace in life? Third, we see the unwavering, complete obedience of the missionary in verses 22 through 23. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. Paul's word becomes stronger, and he is compelled, he is bound, he, can't, he can do nothing but go to Jerusalem. Even though he knows that there's going to be affliction, there's going to be imprisonment there, and even, as we read in verse 16, he was hastening, he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. I would have been dragging my feet. I would have been like, well, if we miss Pentecost, you know, I don't know. But he was bound for Jerusalem. 
I don't know about you, but day in and day out, I, I avoid imprisonment. I avoid affliction. Yet Paul, for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel, was willing to go to a place where he knew that he would face affliction. Well, I've been back, I've been able to go to a lot of different churches and different conferences and different things, and for some reason, people feel really compelled to come up to me and tell me why they're not willing to, to go overseas for a day or a week or a month or a year or whatever. They, I don't know why, but they, they tell me dif- different things of why they don't go. And one time a, a gal came up to me and um, she just said, she just said, I'm just so thankful for what you do. And she said, I could never go overseas just because of all that foreign food. I just have trouble with Mexican food. And I thought to myself, are you serious? An icky stomach? The chance of possible diarrhea is going to keep you from going and sharing with those who have never heard the gospel that they might have true life and true peace? And then my heart's convicted. Um, and I think of those times where I haven't shared the gospel because I thought it might be awkward. Or I might feel uncomfortable. Or they might feel uncomfortable. And I think, are you serious, David? You, you're willing to avoid sharing the true hope and peace in life that is the only hope that anyone ever has because it might be a little bit icky feeling or awkward at the moment. And when you do share, don't you have great peace and joy and just rejoice? My heart's convicted. I think of, there's a Sunday school lesson we did with the kids a long time ago where just the, the the main point was we need Jesus. And we'll ask Anthony, he's a, who needs Jesus? And he'll be like, Anthony needs Jesus. I said, who else needs Jesus? I'm like, mommy needs Jesus. Who else needs Jesus? Daddy needs Jesus. <sighs> we need Jesus. We hit these points where we are called to be so bold and faithful to the gospel and we fall short. And I'm reminded that I need Jesus. And Paul even said, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace has not been in vain. What is the Lord calling you to do? Is He calling you to be willing to go for a week, a month, a year? Is He willing? I know where you guys are commissioning some folks to go on a trip this next week. Maybe next time around, He's calling you to go. Maybe there's still needs of this group that need to be met, and He's calling you to, to give sacrificially. Or maybe the Lord is calling you and asking you guys to just faithfully pray for us. One of the greatest things that I've been told since I've been home is I daily pray for you. And I know those people, they faithfully, they step into Willow Grove, our city, every morning spiritually as they pray for us. And, and if you want, there's a sign-up sheet back there. You can put your email address down to hear more about what's going on that you might pray for us. Or maybe the Lord at Sunday, the door will open for you to come for a week or maybe come for a summer, or even for a year to come and teach English and and be in Willow Grove, and be able to walk our streets and pray and intercede. Or maybe the Lord today is just calling you first to go across the street, or go across that driveway and share the gospel with that person that you know that you've needed to share with. In a book by a man named, pastor named Kent Hughes, he says, there can be no burden for distant, unreached peoples without a burden for our unreached neighbors. I think it starts first at home. Where is the Lord calling you to? Finally, the words of Paul get more and more challenging to me in my heart, and I'm convicted um, in a greater way. In verse 24, we see the life-abandoning call of the missionary. 
but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul poured out his life. He already knew that he had died and his life was now hidden with Christ and God. He had nothing to lose. And later Paul goes on, look at chapter 21 of Acts. And he goes on in, in verse 13. Again, someone comes to him and, and says, you're going to be bound. You're going to be um, bound up and you're going to have affliction in Jerusalem. And everyone around him is like, Paul, don't go. Even Luke says, we were, as the writer of Acts, we were compelling him not to go. And they just were telling him, don't go, Paul. And Paul, his words are words that I pray will one day slip off my tongue very easily and my life will declare it very clearly. And he says, I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew and lived his life in a way as in Philippians 3.8 he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What was Paul's focus? What was his mission? It was to give testimony, to bear witness to the gospel of the grace of God. And for Paul, his calling and his calling, he did not look back. He did not cater to comfort. He did not seek praise of man. He did not seek himself or serve himself, but he boldly went and followed the call of the Lord to share of the gospel. Are you ready this morning to turn a corner just like I was in Ecuador and I turned that corner in the Lord? You use the scene before me just to convict and change my heart. Are you willing to turn a corner and have the Lord turn a corner in your life that He might call you to at least be willing to go for a week, for a month, maybe even a lifetime to a place that might be difficult and out of your comfort zone? What is the Lord calling you to today? Is He reminding you that we need Jesus? Maybe as a believer, you're trying to just do it on your own and you're reminded, I need Jesus. I, I fall short from this these standards and um, these things that, that the Lord calls us to, to be holy as He is holy, but only through Christ. It's because of Him that we, even when we fall, we have amazing forgiveness and restoration in Him. Maybe the Lord is calling you um, to service, to give. Maybe, as you've heard this message, you've heard about the grace of God to repent and to turn to Him and to place faith in Christ that you've not done this, and He's calling you to do this and walk in obedience this year and begin in such a manner. May the Lord um, continue to use His Word to stir us and be people that at the end of our life it'll be clear that we are those who could say, I'm willing not only to be in prison, but to give my, my life for the name, the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.